Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. I believe God wants to give us a word this morning. Not me, but God. How many want to receive that, that word this morning? Let's go. I know it's been good. Let me ask you a question. How many of you ever been into disagreement with your mate or a close friend? Come on. Raise your hand. Show by show of hands. Hold them up high so everybody can look at you. Okay, but look around. Everybody hold your hand high. Look at you. Look around. Those people who are not raising their hand are liars right now. Straight up. You just lied in church, okay? Of course, you've had a disagreement with a, a spouse or a close friend or a neighbor We all get in disagreements at time. And how many of you know what we're really wanting out of that is a resolution? What we're really wanting is the other person to say, hey, please forgive me. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have done that. What we're really wanting is for one of us to go up and just to say, hey, I I was so wrong for this. All we ever desire in that disagreement is resolution. Some of you have been waiting 20 years to hear something like that. Some of you have been still waiting this morning and you and your spouse are just like this. You you, you have like at least a foot of space in between you just to make sure she knows you're not happy with her right now. You get her, okay? But think about it for a moment. We all just want resolution. We all want forgiveness, And as believers, forgiveness is not an option. It's a command. That if you are a born-again believer, forgiveness is not just something that we just willy-nilly like, oh, I'm not giving it to you. No, no, no. It's a command. We forgive because we've been been forgiven. Or, or, Or if you grew up, whether what denomination you grew up in, you maybe learned the Lord's Prayer. We all know that, right? And in that Lord's Prayer, we read it like this as Jesus taught the disciples, but we read it like this, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who, and lead us not into, we can keep going. So think about this for a second. Forgiveness comes to us from God. So as forgiveness comes from God to us, watch this. We are then commanded, as he gives it to us, we are to give to others. Let me tell you what this is. This is big. Don't miss this. This is the relational economy of God. Pause for a moment. That might be a weird word to you. The relational economy of God says, because I have been forgiven, who am I to withhold forgiveness from someone else? And so we see through this. And can you imagine your relationships, your life, walking through life, and many of us have done it at some point, without the relational economy of God? Imagine what your relationships with your kids would be like. Because I don't know about you, kids can say some hurtful things to parents at times. (laughs) And parents can say some hurtful things to kids. And I'm grateful for the relational economy of God because I have been forgiven, I can extend forgiveness. Because they've been forgiven, they're gonna extend me forgiveness. What a great economy to be a part of. It's the economy of God. 
But this morning, I don't want to talk about the relational economy of God. I want to bring another revelation to you this morning. And it's not the relational economy of God. It's called the financial economy of God. And you might be going, what? You see, the financial economy of God operates in the same way as the relational economy of God. Because this economy is greater than any extended warranty on your car that you can buy. It's greater than any life insurance policy that you can go and get from a rep. It's better than any stock market tip because we know where that's going, right? It's better than any retirement fund or 401k or pension because all of those are tanking right now. You see, in this economy, in Malachi 3, here's what this economy says. Here's verse 10. It says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Here's God speaking. That there may be food in my house and thereby, listen to this, put me to the test, he says. He said, in my financial economy, this is God speaking. He says, put me to the test. Pause. It's the only time in God's word that he says, test me is with finances. Only time. And what does God says? He says, the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more needs. You see, the economy, the financial economy of God operates in a way where when we step into it, we can then receive it. The problem is many times when he gives it, it bottlenecks with us. Come on. Well, God, this is mine. I'll, I'll, I might give you five, 10%, but the 90 is mine. And in that economy, what ends up happening is we don't get to receive the blessings of God. Watch this, because we're not investing in the economy of God. Now, Pastor Chris, why, why are you talking about money today? Because some of you just shut down as soon as the pastor talks about money. You're just like, oh. I had a, a very kind lady afterwards, after the first service, and she came up to me, she goes, Pastor Chris, I'm not gonna lie, when you started talking about money, I just shut down. And she said, but in the end, it was all good. That's what she said. <laughs> Here's what I want you to understand. The world is talking about money. How dare, if Pastor Jacob, myself, and our pastoral team don't steer you in the right direction of what God says about his economy and his money. Well, you just, you just want something from us. No, no, no. I want something for you. I want something for you. We are so blessed as a church. Our elders and trustees have stewarded God's finances, your generosity, that we're able to give to Eight Days of Hope and other outreaches, and we're, God is able to do amazing things. I'm telling you, we are good. This is not for us. It's for you. We need to operate in the economy of God. And my question to you is, do you operate in this economy? The Malachi 3 economy. Because it, has, it shapes our money, our belief about money. It shapes our belief about our possessions, whether we're giving or tithing, whatever it is. And so I want to help anchor us this morning in the foundation of the economy of God. Because it's the financial economy of God that he wants us to understand. And I want you to get this morning. Because it was Billy Graham who rightly points out, this is so good. 
If a person gets their attitude toward money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area of their life. How many want to get straightened out this morning? Let's see what God says about his financial economy. Let me ask you a question, okay? I need your participation, okay? Humor me. How many remember the, the game Truth or Dare? Come on, okay, good, we all played. How many played Truth or Dare? Okay, easy, geez, risque, okay. <laughs> How many were truth people? you just like, I, I stick with the truth. Come on, my conservative people, I see you. God loves you, okay? Where are my dare people at? Come on, well, my rebels right there, right? I was a dare person. I remember me and my brother would be playing truth or dare and my friends or whatever. And I'm like, truth is boring. I don't want to talk. I want to do something, you know? And, and there would always be something like crazy that you would do. It's like, oh, lick this, smell this, taste this, right? <laughs> I didn't always have to do with that. But as like a 10, 11, 12-year-old kid, like that was just fun. Like, hey, go run outside. Go streaking. I'm like, no, man, you know? But think, if it was something crazy, I would turn it down because I just wasn't like that crazy. And so, but, but what would entice me is, is you throw money in there and I'm like, what? Right, because my brother would be like, hey, do this. And I'm like, no, nah, man. He's like, I'll give you $5. I'm like, well, now we're talking. And to a 10-year-old, $5 feels like $5 million, And you're like, I'm gonna be rich after this, right? And you're thinking about how much candy you can buy or, or whatever it is. And you begin to, change almost your thinking because you're wanting to have that money so badly that it begins to cause you to do things that you wouldn't normally do. Can I just tell you, I believe many of us grow up with the mindset of truth or dare when it comes to our finances. We know very little truth about what God says in his economy of what we do need to do with our finances. And we allow the world to dare us into buying things we don't need. And it's not your fault. Can I just tell you, it's not all your fault. Well, it has to do with the world. Yeah, a lot of it has to do with our parents and they did the best they could. But many of us take our cue off of what our parents did or didn't do with their finances. This is so big. And so we begin to dare. Then we allow the world to dare us into doing things we wouldn't normally do. But the truth is this. Listen to this is that Jesus talked about money twice as much as heaven and hell. So what does that mean? Some of us are so worried about whether we're going to heaven when Jesus said, hey, you're good. Salvation is simple. Receive what I did on the cross. You're good. You don't have to earn it or buy it. You receive it. It's a gift. But finances, he's like, y'all are caught up in this. I'm gonna have to talk twice as much about that. Not in the life to come, but the life now. Not to how, to how to have heaven one day, but to have heaven here on earth. And so we look at it from that perspective. Jesus talked about it twice as much as heaven and hell. Listen to this. 16 of the 38 parables, almost half of the parables or the stories that Jesus told had to do with money and possessions. Not only that, listen to this. There are over 500 verses about prayer and faith. Amen, pastor, amen. There are over 2,000 verses about money and possessions. You're talking four times the amount. God is showing us not that he wants our money, not that he wants to control us. Look at me. He wants our hearts. But he knows something we don't know. 
he knows that we put God's above him all the time. And the, the, probably the most difficult one is the God of money. Because we hold it in such high esteem. We hold it in such high esteem. But here's what Jesus knew. And here's why I believe that he wanted to talk so much about money. It's because he knew that we would look at it as physical when it's really spiritual. What do you mean, Pastor Chris? Money is more spiritual than physical. I'm not talking about currency. I'm not talking about the fiat that we pay. It could be Bitcoin or it could be real coins. doesn't matter. But it's spiritual. Because you remember, in God's economy, John 4, God is spirit. God is spirit. So in God's economy, everything is spiritual. Almost nothing is physical. He will use the physical to get to the spiritual. Come on. It's what he does. It's his economy. So here's the foundation I want us to anchor on this morning. Listen to this. Here's the foundation of the economy of God. Right after Jesus in Luke 16, he tells this amazing parable about the shrewd manager, about a dishonest manager and goes back and forth. Here's what he ends up saying to the disciples, to the Pharisees and those who are listening. Here's what he tells us this morning in verse 16 of Luke. He says, verse 13, excuse me, of Luke. It says this, no servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now you're looking at it going like, my version doesn't say mammon, it says money. But let's pause for a second. Jesus is not talking about how much money, what to give, or what to do. He is talking about who do you serve? Who is your master? Is it God or is it money? It cannot be both. And so he wants us to wrestle with the spiritual aspect of what money does to us. Now, let's jump to the mammon part because some of you are all going, everybody say mammon, mammon. Say mammon three times, mammon, mammon, mammon. It just sounds weird. But think about it, mammon. Many of us don't have any idea what that means, but in some versions it says money, but many versions it has a capital M. Because mammon is a name, and it's Aramaic, and it's the Syrian god of riches. So what Jesus was speaking to wasn't money necessarily. It was the god of riches. You see, that's what's so cool about this. What we think is all about money is actually about which god are you serving? Because mammon is a spirit. It's the false god of riches. And it's the economy of man. It's the economy of this world. In fact, mammon will promise you everything that only God can fulfill. How do you know that, Pastor Chris? Because we all live in this world. And we've all been fooled by mammon. And I'm going to expose three lies. Because before we can begin to receive God's truth, we have to bring revelation and light and illumination to the lies. Amen? So let's expose three lies of the economy of mammon. We've all bought into this, pastor included. Here's, here's, here's lie number one. Having more money will make me more secure. Come on. If I had a dollar for every time I heard someone say, if I could just get to this amount, if I could just get to this, right? In the NFL, my gosh, if I could just get one big contract, right? 
Like that's what they would say. Like they would go, if I could just get this many in my account, I'd be set. Can I tell you, it's never enough. Because being financially secure, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with being financially secure. God loves that, and that's great. But it cannot be your God. Listen to what the proverb says. Wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, said this. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine, that's a huge word, they imagine it is a wall too high to scale. What is he saying? He's saying, we think that if we amass enough wealth, that it will be a city, watch this, to protect us against any harm. We've all bought into that lie. How do you know that, Pastor Chris? Money can solve a lot of problems. You're right, but it can't solve cancer. Ask Steve Jobs. Richest man in the world, yet all the money in the world could not protect him from pancreatic cancer. And we tend to think that because it is our source, it is our, it, oh, if I just had enough, if I just, had, I, we could wall ourselves off from any trouble that we were facing. I have conversation with a guy the other day, and, and it was comical at times, but this is, our, this is the lie that Mammon tells us. This is the economy of mammon. And he just goes, young guy, awesome, wonderful, uh, financial advisor. And he was building his business. That's what we were talking about. And I was just kind of helping him. And, and he, he told me, he said, now, but me and my wife have in our heart to really start a nonprofit and to, you know, just help adoptions and just orphanage and all this stuff and foster kids. Like we have a real big heart for that. And once I build my business and get financially secure, he used that trigger word for me financially secure, then we can really pour ourselves into what God is like calling us to do. We don't have to worry about money and everything. And I just looked at him and I said, cool, man. I said, but if you wait until you're financially secure, then God isn't building it, you're building it. And now you're relying more on the riches of mammon than you are on the God who provides those riches. You see, when we wait until we're secure or we believe that lie that money will make us secure, we miss the truth that God alone is our security, that he will never leave us or forsake us. Hebrews 13 tells us that he'll never leave us or forsake us. We love that one when we're worshiping and when we need to know that God is with us. What we forget, if you back up a verse, we begin to see that it's saying, do not love money. Be content with what you have, for God will never leave you or forsake you. And so we begin to see, when we take that out of context, it's true. But Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, was talking about money. And when you operate outside of the economy of God, you begin to see that it's all a lie. For he alone is our source. The second lie is this. We've all done this. We all have to admit this, that the things I own define who I am. Not me, pastor. You're the first liar in this room right now. We've all done this. We've, we've all done this. That, that Man, if, if I can just get the right clothes or car or house, or if I could just get in the right neighborhood, or if I can just get... If I could just get this job, if I could just get these things, if I could just get my hair done, like I want to, right? If I could just get this, then I'll be accepted by the right people and live a better life. Inherently, we know that's not true, but many of us buy into that lie. Now, 
I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a nice house, nice car, nice car. Not saying that. But when it begins to define who we are, then it's a lie. I'll never forget being a rookie in the NFL. And what was so crazy about that is the culture in the NFL is very, uh, it's just like, people say, oh, you got a real job now. I'm like, I didn't know I had a fake job in the NFL, but yeah, because it seems so lofty, right? It just seems so like dreamy. It's like money, power, it's all these things. And I'll never forget, I'm driving up, um, I'm driving up to the player's parking lot to go to the facility and you, and you pull in and like, there's some nice cars there. <laughs> I mean, nice cars. You see, you know the player's parking lot from the front office staff. <laughs> there's a big difference and you look at it and you're like, man, that, those are some nice cars. And here I am, a rookie. I'm pulling up in my 99 Ford Explorer, right? Come on, 270,000 miles, rolling in, dent in the side of the door, mirrors turned weird, haven't washed it in three years, right? Just, it's one of those cars you turn off and it sounds like it dies, like goo goo goo. And I get out, like, oblivious, right? I pull in between $200,000 cars. I'm like, got, got a little close to that one, but that's okay. Yeah. And I pull in, I get out and the guys just start ragging on me. Reese, what are you driving? You know? And, and I'm like legitimately like, it's my car. I don't know what else, what, what else do you want me to do? And I love those guys and they were wonderful and they're amazing. But what's so funny is I began to feel this pressure to bend to the lie of the economy of mammon. That in order for me to be accepted by them, I had to buy a car like them. And it's so easy for us to get that because guess what? We all think that if we just had more money, then people would listen to me. We all think, listen to me, many of you in your marriage right now, you think if I had more money and we made more money, we wouldn't have a bad marriage and our marriage wouldn't have a lot of troubles because we're only really fighting because we have money problems. Listen to me right now. Money doesn't solve it and it didn't cause your problems. Your marriage is exposed by money. It doesn't get solved by money. It's exposed. It's like people who go, yeah, Pastor Chris, like, once I get a million followers, then I'll start preaching about Jesus, you know? Right now, I only got five. One is my mom, but still. You know, think about it. Like, it, it's like, then I'll start preaching. You don't preach Jesus when you're on a platform. You preach Jesus with no platform. Then he gives you a platform. It's why the Bible talks about the principle of faithful with little, faithful with much. When we go, well, I just, don't, I just don't have a lot of money right now, Pastor Chris, so that's, that's why I did it. Well, faithful with little, and God goes, I can give you much. I can give you much. But what happens when we buy into this lie that we're defined by the things that we own? We end up buying things we don't want with money we don't have to impress people we don't even really like. <laughs> Listen to me. Your neighbor next to you who has a boat, he don't even know your name. Stop buying boats. He doesn't care. It's the lie of mammon. We're in the wrong economy. The third and final one, the third and final lie is this. It's one of the biggest lies of mammon is this. Number three, money will make me happy. 
money will make me happy. Yeah, gosh, this couldn't be further from the truth. Hear my heart today. This couldn't be further from the truth. It couldn't be. How do you know this, Pastor Chris? Because lottery winners told me, mo money, mo problems. <laughs> and I, I love it. My mom plays the lottery only when it gets to like 500 million because 100 million is not enough to play. It has to be like 500 million, Powerball. Right? I'm like, really, mom? She's like, you never know. I'll give it all to you. I'm like, I don't care. I don't want it. Stop wasting money. But we think like 80 other million people that we can win the lottery. The problem is the stats have come out about lottery winners. We just refuse to believe them. Lottery winners is very clear. 70% of people I read it the other day who suddenly receive a windfall of cash will lose it within a few years. Well, I would never do that. I would give so much to the church and then give to my cause and then, okay, faithful with little, (laughs) faithful with much. Not only that, here's what it said too, that majority of them said this, they wish they had never won the money in the first place. Mo money, mo problems. It does not make you happy. Well, does it say it in the Bible, Pastor Chris? Absolutely. There's a book called Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. Ecclesiastes was written by someone named King Solomon. King Solomon was the richest man who ever lived. He was also the wisest man besides Jesus who ever walked the planet. And so as King Solomon received from God wisdom and riches, I mean, this man had more than 500 wives. If he had that many wives, he is a wise man or very unwise either way. But so he, he was not content. So the book of Ecclesiastes is all about his journaling what when he went out and soiled his oats and tried to find something that was better than what God gave him. It's a fascinating book. You need to read it. And he ends up with really this thought, there's nothing new under the sun and everything is like chasing the wind, except for God, he said. Not only that, he wrote these words right here in Ecclesiastes 5. Those who love money will never have enough. How absurd to think that wealth brings true happiness. We've all done it. This is, not a, this is not a condemnation party. This is not pastor getting up here and beating you with the Bible. This is a revelation and illumination party. Why do I say that? Because we need to bring things that are in the dark and the light so that God can begin to share his truth on it. But no one wants to talk about money in church because people have been hurt and have misused different things that the church has given, that the congregation, that people have given. And now we feel like we have to be giving police. So next next time when we give to the homeless man on the street, we begin to go, "Um, excuse me, are you using this for drugs or alcohol, right? What are you, the giving police? Like, did God command you to give? Then give. Let God sort out the rest. Well, we just want to see the financials and make sure that we're, we're good. We want to make sure. Listen to me. God didn't say see financials. He said be wise and a cheerful giver. And in that, you enter the economy of God where when you give, you have more to receive. Come on. It's what he wants for your life. So Pastor Chris, I want that for my life. How do I do that? We knew we weren't created for the economy of mammon. 
But how do I operate in the financial economy of God? I'm gonna give you three things, three steps. Call them what you wanna call them. Just three thoughts, three truths that I want you to really take hold of. And it'll begin to shift everything we know about the economy of God. Number one, we have to learn this about our finances. God owns, we manage. I'm gonna say that again real quick. God owns, we manage, period. Period. We are not called to be owners. We are called to be managers. There is this story about a lady who came out of the grocery store and as she was pushing her groceries towards her car, she realized there was four men in her car. So she got nervous and she did what any other South Louisiana Cajun woman would do. She pulled out her gun. That's what she did. <laughs> and she pulled out her gun. She left her groceries. And at gunpoint, she forced all four of these grown men out of the car. And as she's loading her groceries, she has them... She's putting them in and she hops in the car, throws her gun to the other side, gets in the car, locks the door. The men are just standing there. She's wondering what are they doing. She pulls out her key and realizes it's not her car. I believe many of us are like this lady when it comes to our finances in God. We, anytime God gets close to it, we force him out of it at gunpoint. God, you can have my religion, you can have my spiritual life, but my financial life, get out. And the problem is, we think we own it when we're just managers. We're just managers. We're just stewards, as the Bible would call it. You know, and it's not our stuff. Because the psalmist said it very clear. Here's God speaking through the psalmist in Psalm 50, verse 10, says this. I love the Passion Translation. Every animal of the field and forest belongs to me, the creator. I know every movement of the birds in the sky and every animal of the field is in my thoughts. Listen to this. The entire world and everything it contains is mine. If I were hungry, do you think I would tell you? He's saying, you don't feed me anyway. Here's what he says. For all that I have created, the fullness of the earth is mine. We cannot begin to step into the financial economy of God until we posture our hearts to say, God, is all yours. God, my finances are yours. God, when I get a bonus, it's yours. When I get my tax return, now, Pastor Chris, that's free money. I'm gonna get, you realize it was your money to begin with anyway. But now I can do this with it. No, 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 it's all God's. God, what do you want me to do with it? But, but, but I give, isn't the rest of it? No, 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 it's all God's. It's all God's, everything in it. Watch this. There's, I believe there's some freedom even happening as I speak that. It's breaking things off of you because you've realized there's a spirit of mammon on you. And you have accepted this ownership role instead of a manager role. The great part about being a manager is you don't have to own it. You just have to steward it. You just have to say, go there, do this. And if, you, if it's lost, guess what? You go, God, 
Is this, this yours? Oh, you want to give it more? Okay, you want to give me more? Okay, great, thank you. We begin to take on that manager position, but we get in trouble when we mess this up. Adam and Eve in, in the Garden of Eden, they messed it up. They messed it up big time. Because God gave them everything they needed, everything they wanted. And then God gave them a command. He said, Adam, I want you to work the ground, tend to the ground. And in this time, work didn't mean like us slaving away. Work meant worship. He got to worship with God there, taking care of, being a manager. Because he didn't own it. He got to just be with God and be a manager. And as he was there, it was great. But the first lie of the enemy, watch this, this is so big. The first lie of the enemy was when he said, you want to be like God? You don't want to just be a manager your whole life, right? You want to be an owner. And they go, yeah, we want to know what God knows. We want to be like God. You won't die, he said. And what happened? Foolishly, she became, he became an owner. And they missed the point of God's economy is that we don't own it, he does. He owns it all. And I want to give you a very liberating principle to help you begin operating in the financial economy of God. One that I know is extremely helpful to me and to get our mind around. It's this simple phrase, it's not mine, it's God's. It's not mine, it's God's. So when things come in, it's not mine, it's God's. When things go out or maybe you, somebody stole something for you, God, it's not mine, it's yours. If you wanted that person to have it, they need to take that. If they want to steal my Bible, they can steal my Bible too, God, tell me. It's not mine, it's yours. It's not mine, it's God's. This is how we start to enter into the economy of God. It's called stewardship, not ownership. The second thing that we need to do then, once we realize it's not ours, that it's all God's, we're just managers, is this. Number two, return the first. Return the first. What, what do you mean, Pastor Chris? Notice the word return. Why? It doesn't belong to us. <laughs> if it doesn't belong to me, then I'm not giving it to God. I am returning it to God. Because it's already his. I can't give someone something that they've already, like, like, like my kids try to give me a gift that's already mine. Right? I'm like, you bought it with my own money? Thank you. I didn't want another tie. I don't wear ties. Like, but we return it to God. We don't give it to him. And notice it's return the first. The first is referring to the principle of the tithe. Now, some of you, your eyes literally roll back in your head and you gag for a second. Because I just said tithe and you're like, oh gosh. He's talking about tithing. Here we go. And you're nudging your mate right now and going, mm-hmm. So I don't come to church. Listen to me. I believe tithing is grossly misunderstood within the church. Grossly. And I am a pastor. It is part of my responsibility to teach you what is tithing, how to tithe, what does it mean? Watch this. And what does it not mean? So this is not a guilt trip to get you to give. This is an instruction manual to help us see how our mindset of tithing is off. It's off. Let me teach you just for one minute real quick. The tithe literally means 10th. It's an Old Testament term 
just meaning 10%. That's what it means. And it was an Old Testament concept where the Israelites would have to bring, would have to, it was a requirement of the Old Testament law under the Old Covenant to bring a tenth or 10% of their crops to the Lord. And they would bring those crops, livestock, whatever it was, and they would bring it to the temple where God, they believed God's presence was residing. And they would bring it to the Levites, the priests, those who were there who would take care of his temple. The great part about it is, watch this, the presence of God no longer resides in a building. When Jesus died on the cross, it opened up access for the spirit of God to now be inside of those who believe in Jesus. So now, watch this. The presence of God doesn't reside in a temple, a building, or a city. It resides in me and you. So we don't have to bring it to a certain place. We don't have to. Watch this. I'm going to liberate some of y'all. We don't have to give 10%. What? Because what people don't understand is they go like, okay, well, the tithe is Old Testament law, pastors. I don't have to do that. You're 100% right. 100% right. But that's the Old Testament law. When Jesus came and died, we actually live and are covered under a new covenant. Watch this. A better covenant with better promises. So if the old way said you have to give 10%, shouldn't the new way make us go, since we have better promises and a better covenant with better love and better grace, give more than 10%? Come on. I mean, we think we're restricted and we're not. We're not. Because now it's not I have to, now it's I get to. Because the presence of God is residing in me, I get to operate within the financial economy of God. But tithing, can I just tell you, some churches have made it this guilt trip where if you don't give, you're not blessed. That you're not highly favored, that you're not going to heaven. It's not biblical. But I'll tell you what. If you want to operate in the economy of God, giving has to be a priority. Has to be a priority. Are you telling me I don't have to give 10%? No, I'm saying this. For those of you who do tithe and you've been tithing faithfully, that's wonderful. Here's what it is. How much more can you go beyond? Because God went beyond by sending his son. Aren't you glad that God didn't send 10% of Jesus? He sent the whole thing. So listen, listen to my heart though. Some of you are going, Pastor Chris, I just... I can't tithe right now. I just, I, 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 I can't. Tithing isn't about the amount as much as it is about the order. What do you mean? The Bible says in Proverbs 3, very simply, it says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits. First. So what if we got tithing wrong? What if we got tithing as just 10%? What if we got it wrong as the first, the best that we have? What if it was that? What if we've missed it all along? That if you can't give 10%, you don't have to. You don't have to. It's not a requirement. If you want to give 15%, it's awesome. If you want to give 2%, that's great. Watch this. But I believe order matters more than anything else. 
matters. It is the first because some of us look at month to month and we look at our bank, bank account, we look at our bills and we just go, Pastor Chris, my fruits at the end of the month are negative fruits. <laughs> I got negative fruits. Everybody done eat all my fruits already. That's what you said. I get it. I've been there. 100%. I've been there. I've been there. But can I challenge you? What if when it came in, you gave it out? Before anybody else got theirs, God got his. Why is that? Because I want you to listen to this principle that you can apply to your entire life. It's the first four words of the Bible. In the beginning, God. It's Genesis 1-1. In the beginning. So watch. In the beginning of my finances, God. You can apply it to anything. In the beginning of my marital relationship, God. Not my spouse. In the beginning of my relationship with my kids, God. In the beginning before I talked to my kids after they did something they shouldn't have done, God. In the beginning of my day, God. It's the beginning of, it's a principle of the first. Because God said, I want no other God before me. It's first. You see, I, I love, I, I love what tithing says because tithing communicates that God is first. Deuteronomy 14 says this, the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God in first place in your life. What if we've messed up giving by the amount instead of the order? Well, I'm only giving like $5 today, Pastor Chris. I made, I made 50 yesterday and like, I'm only giving five. I don't, I don't feel like it really matters all that much. It's not about the amount. 10% is a great place to start, but it's not about the amount. It's about the order. What order are your finances in? What order is your giving in? Listen to me, because you cannot get into the economy of God without putting God first. And when you put him first, you will never come out last, church. Because you're going, but if I give to him first, then at the end, I don't think I'll have enough. Can I challenge you? Let me use a word that God said, test me. Because in that place between when you give and at the end of the month, you know there might be a deficit. God said, I'm gonna open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. I can tell you story after story after story, church. I mean, of, of people, of myself, where all of a sudden that aunt who never gave you birthday money gave you a $500 check because she missed the last 10 birthdays. Come on. And you're going, oh, that's just my aunt. No, that's God. That's God. That's God. That's God. That's God. You put him in his place and let him do the rest. And watch God pour out his blessings. Oh, you saying, Pastor Chris, that if I give $100, he's going to give me 10000 I wish. 
But I believe he'll give you way more than that. Because it might not look like an exchange of money. It might be when I start tithing, all of a sudden that son or that daughter who is far from the Lord starts coming back. Why? 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 Because you're operating in the financial economy of God. You're operating in the economy of God. And the economy of God and the nature of God, he's the same God. We sang about it. The same God who gave power to David, to slay Goliath, is the same God that provides for you in your deficit. Because third and finally, when you invest, you can write this down, when you invest, you become blessed. Invest and become blessed. Well, this sounds very prosperity-ish, Pastor Chris. I'm just giving you what the Bible says. This, here's the cool part. As a pastor, there's no onus on me. I'm just like, give, give, give. Guess what? Your pastor's doing it too. Because I'm believing in my God who takes care of me and takes care of you. I'm believing in Jehovah Jireh that in the end of the month when you're going, God, you're going to have to come through. I honored you. I know you're going to honor me. All of a sudden, something takes place. But more importantly, the blessing. The blessing that comes from being in the financial economy of God is more than I can even tell you. It's, it's, it's experiential. And you know, I get to teach my kids about it now because I've experienced it for myself, church. And there's nothing greater than when my kids get like, they get $10 and I'm like, hey, okay, hey buddy, how much are you gonna give now? How much are we gonna return to God? Okay, we're gonna, we're gonna give them a dollar because that's 10%. I said, that's right, buddy. We're going to give a dollar. Daddy, can I give him $2? I was like, you can give him as much as you want, son. And he takes that dollar. I'm telling you, I've seen this. He takes that dollar. And I don't know if you know this. They, they collect tithes and offerings in kids' church. Some of y'all are like, my kid's giving money? What? Yes, he is. And so he takes that dollar. I'm telling you, I've seen my son, my daughter, and they hold it in their hands and they walk to kids' church because they're so proud to give God what is already his. They're so proud to give and to acknowledge God. Man, when did we lose that? When did we lose this, this belief in the economy of God that, man, God, you got it to me. Now you're going to get it through me. And they walk in there and they collect it. And my, my son will hold it until they, they collect the offering and the tithe. And he'll hold it. And he'll drop it in that bucket. And he'll come running back to me. Daddy, I gave my money today. I said, buddy, that's awesome. Do you not believe that little kid is getting the same blessings and the same pouring out and the opening of the windows of heaven upon them than someone who gives 10000 God doesn't need the money. And you know what's so cool in our kids' church? It goes to helping compassion kids that we sponsor through the church. These kids are helping other kids eat food, get education, get out of poverty. But the way they see it is I get to give to God. And they experience the blessings of God because they invest. Pastor, why do you say invest? I say invest because in investment, you expect a return. Church, you should expect a return. 
Test me, he says. For those who are tithing, go above and beyond. It's my challenge to you. Don't just enter into the economy of God. Go all the way in. For those who have yet to begin tithing, begin giving, can I challenge you? Pray on it. Set an amount. Set a percentage. I'm, I'm a firm believer in percentage because as your income increases, we know what happens. We keep giving that $100 a month when now you're making 20000 a month. And what needs to flip is, God, I'm going to be a percentage giver. Don't take my word for it. Test God. <laughs> Test God. And watch him open heaven and pour out a blessing as you enter in to the financial economy of God. Because here's what I'm, I'm going to end with. Paul encourages us in the New Testament. Might not be a requirement to tithe, but Paul instructs us very clearly of how to give. Here's what he says. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Listen to this. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. The economy of God has very little to do with physical things. The economy of God is he wants to dispense and disperse his spirit into you. We just have to remove the things that are our gods and put them in their proper place. Money matters because we can use it for the kingdom of God, but it's not our God. I dare you, I challenge you, church, Enter into the financial economy of God and watch what he does. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the challenge that this morning brought, God. And I know it opened some people's hearts and maybe even, maybe there was some conviction, God. Maybe there was a lot of just uncomfortable moments and times when we talk about money. That's a hurt, Lord. That's a a past wound that we need to get over, Lord, that, that you have healed through the blood of Jesus. And so this morning, Lord, I'm praying just fresh revelation. I'm praying a spirit, Lord, of courage and strength in order to go and to, to give, to store up local storehouses, God, the local church, where they get fed at, Lord. Not because they have to, because they get to. And as that happens, God, I pray you make it abundantly clear that it is you who provides for them pour out a blessing upon them like they've never seen before, where they will remember this moment where they began giving and giving and giving. And all of a sudden, you started providing more and more and more and more and more, God. You have our hearts this morning, Lord. For some of you in here this morning, the the most important thing you're gonna to do today is not involve giving something to God, but simply receiving the gift of salvation from God. It's called being born again. It only happens once. You don't have to buy it. Jesus already bought it to receive forgiveness. And in just a moment, 
I'm going to give you the opportunity to be born again. To accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. To repent of your sins and begin moving towards him, with him in a relationship. Not religion. It's not about whether you are baptized or christened or whether you go to church. This is about giving your life to Jesus and being born again. Receiving the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Well, How do I do that, Pastor Chris? It's as simple as A, B, C. A, which is admit we're sinners in need of a Savior. B, believe that what Jesus did on the cross was enough to cover our past, present, and future sins. And C, we confess him as Lord and as Savior of our life. And just like you were physically born once, you only have one spiritual birthday where you commit your life to Jesus. And you begin to walk with him, not in perfection, but in direction. If that's you in here on the count of three, I just want you to raise your hand. I don't want to embarrass you. No one else is looking but me. All heads bowed, all eyes are closed. But if you're in here this morning saying, Pastor Chris, include me in that born again prayer. I'm going to pray it. Matter of fact, we're all going to pray it together. But if you just said, Pastor Chris, include me in that born again prayer today. Today, I want to be born again. On the count of three, I want you to raise your hand so I can see it. One, God brought you here for a reason. Two, he's calling you home. Three, raise your hand high and wave it at me. I see you. One, two, three, four. Awesome. Five. Awesome. Praise God. Six, I see you. Seven, I see you. Awesome. Wonderful. You can put your hands down. If you raised it once, you don't ever have to raise it again. But if that's you in here, last 10 seconds are for you. I should have raised my hand, Pastor Chris. I want you to raise it now. Anyone else? Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome, church. With all those that raise their hands this morning, we're gonna pray this prayer together. Repeat after me, church. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, my guilt, and you died for it. I believe that you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose on the third day to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, in a relationship with your father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from my sin to be born again. Say this with me. God is my father. Jesus is my savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen.